Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with Summit K-12. With me as always is my co-host, Lena Marie Sale with Canva, and we are so glad that you found us on today's episode. Today, we have uh, one of our favorite uh, people that we like to follow on LinkedIn to know what is happening in EdTech these days. Uh, this is the founder and CEO of Gaggle, Jeff Patterson, and many would also say he is a fantastic party planner. We'll let him explain that um, as he uh, shares with you a little more of his story. Um, but before we dive into today's topic, um, Jeff, could you give our audience a little sense of who are you and what do you love about what you do? As, as you said, I'm the founder and CEO of Gaggle. And, and what that means was I was foolish at the right time. Uh, 23 years ago, I had this idea for Gaggle. We don't do the same things we used to do, but I uh, tried to raise venture capital to create this ed tech company. No one would trust me, but I was young and naive and stubborn. And I just started building the company anyway. That's really what I'm all about because I, I don't have any investors to this day. We're about 150 employees and I don't, I don't have any, uh, there's, there's no regulator on Jeff Patterson and Gaggle. So we just do what makes sense to us, what makes sense for students and schools. So who couldn't love that? Right. And as our audience knows here at the Voices of E-Learning show, we have no regulator either. Uh, we are both volunteers. We don't get paid to do this uh, and we don't have any sponsors. So we get to talk about whatever we want to talk about, which is going to make this episode probably one of our most interesting of all time, uh, because we can both all three of us talk uh, openly and honestly about the state of ed tech and the state of education and any topic areas that we want to go into. Um, but we thought we would start with um, something that is related to, to what uh, Gaggle does and uh, your experience and um, something that the pandemic has um, uh, really shown a light on and, you know, uh, kind of let the entire world know that uh, mental health is not just something that affects some people. It's effect something that affects all of us and would love to just start out and get your thoughts on how Gaggle is addressing student mental health, um, and you know what have you seen over the last couple of years as far as the shift in the conversation and the focus around mental health of students? JW, can I explain what Gaggle does in a story just to give some context? Absolutely. All right. I'm going to apologize. This is a dark story, and it's going to end as well as it can, but this is the reality of what we're dealing with. So... There was a Friday evening, a middle school boy in New Jersey pulled out of his school provided Chromebook and he started creating a Google document and the Google doc said, I'm tired of faking my feelings. I have no one who loves me, not even my family. My only choice left is suicide. So what we do at Gaggle is we sit behind the school's digital tools, which is Google workspaces or Office 365. And we're pulling in the email, the documents, the chats, everything. We run it through technology to highlight things that are concerning. And we have a safety team that reviews those 24-7. Our safety person recognized this as a credible threat, so we called our emergency contact, who's a school principal. The principal started calling the family, while the assistant principal called local authorities. When the principal got a hold of parents, they said, 
our son is fine. He's upstairs in his room. We, we just finished dinner. But when they went to look, he wasn't there. And that's why it was important that the assistant principal got a hold of the authorities because in this town in New Jersey, the trains run through on their way to New York City. And there's a spot where two kids had previously jumped in front of the train. They found this boy walking to that spot. And it all happened in 15 minutes. And that story last, this last school year happened over 1,500 times. So we're looking for bullying, threats of fighting, bringing weapons to school. We see so much depression, anxiety, and cutting. Uh, probably 180,000 of those incidents. Obviously, suicide ideation, child pornography, child predators, abuse at home. Uh, our, our, our society is, in a, is an awful space when it comes to mental health, but our, our children are even in a worse space. So let me, let me stop there, and then, then I can share with you where, where I see the world's at and where it's going. Any, 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 I'm sorry. That was a, that was a heavy one. I'm sorry. I I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy story, but the thing about it is that's the reality that we live in, right? Kids are communicating via social media or they're creating Google docs where they think no one's going to share. They're writing an email that they're sharing just like to a friend or something like that. And there's no way to be able to have those conversations. So Gaggle gives that opportunity, I think for, um, people to kind of understand or, you know, to be able to monitor it. It's not like you're, it's not like you're going through and reading every single email and your tech team is just sitting there and reading every single email. It's, it's run by a set of algorithmic things that help to recognize this specific behaviors in students. And I think we don't talk about it enough. I think the last couple of years of the pandemic um, highlighted people's mental health because public figures started talking about their mental health and their suffrage. But before that, it was not really a conversation that was like openly had, or it was like, okay to share that you were struggling. Yeah. The, um, the CDC did some, they're always doing some research. They did some research last summer and found that 20% of high school kids had considered suicide in the previous 30 days and 9% had actually attempted it right? There's so many attempts we don't even find out about because there are people attempt before they, they commit to it. But really there's, there's just, there's so many kids cutting and suffering. I call them lifetime saves, right? If a kid's suffering in these ways, they're not going to learn. They're not going to become a productive member of society and the adult that they're meant to be. Um, it, it, it's scary, right? And as you know, obviously we're an early warning system to find these kids in crisis, but, uh, um, Sometimes I tell people I hate, I, I used to say is I hate my own company. I, what? What do you mean, Jeff? You hate your own company because we're like your friend who comes over your backyard and you've got three dogs and we're looking at the grass saying, hey, there's dog poop everywhere. Of course, there's 30 high school kids. You know, you've got kids that are suffering. I wanted us to be a company that helps pick up the dog poop. Um, and in this case, it means helping to solve the problem. And we, we launched a therapy, a teletherapy solution for students. Um, I'm going to give you a sneak preview. We're about to announce a 24-7 mental health crisis line for schools that they can partner with Gaggle on. This is where our mission is. It's ensuring the safety and well-being of schools and students. And, and I, that was my next question leading into early um, prevention, but then also detection and prevention. But then also, what, are, what is Gaggle doing and what can we all be doing in the education system to help um, teach these uh, kids the, the skills that will help them cope with what they're dealing with, to help them get by in life, and, and hopefully to help them 
uh, you know, kind of turn around the you know, mental health uh, picture to, to where they can be thriving, not only in academically in school, but socially and, and emotional well-being um, as we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic and there is hope for a little bit better future. Um, we know it's not just going to magically go away, right? This trauma is going to last for years, if not generations. Um, what's being done on the, the positive side of things, um, you know, to help students across the country? Oh, I'll give you a couple of anecdotes that I heard. One from the former superintendent of Sandy Hook, uh, the Sandy Hook School District, where the shooting took place. He formed a superintendent's reading group, and it wasn't about reading. It was about those kids that no one was paying attention to that needed attention. Because everyone needs to feel like they've got someone in their lives who's not going to judge them, who's going to listen to them. Uh, I was with the superintendent this last week who was saying what they did um, when they were in the building was at the start of the school year, they put every kid's face up on the wall. And all the adult, all the educators from the school would go through and put a little dot next to the kids that they knew and had a personal relationship. And if they found that there were students that didn't have a dot, then they focused on who's going to build that relationship with those students so that they have an adult who cares about them. That's amazing. I think that's already one tip that anyone listening today and in, in the administration can take and, and run with. Um, and we talk about it a lot, the importance of human connection, of you know, teachers and relationships with students, but um, also administrators, right? Obviously can't know all students, but I love the, the kind of divide and conquer and make sure that no child is left behind socially, emotionally. Um, that's something I think everybody can agree with and, and get behind. Um, also want to talk a little bit um, uh, as we're talking about administrators and, you know, decision makers in districts, what, uh, you know, this is obviously a conversation being had in many, you know, everywhere, but, but from your perspective, what are the things that districts need to really be focusing on now more than ever as they're building their school preparedness plans, as they're um, trying to address these uh, mental health challenges head on, hopefully going into this fall, uh, where should they be focusing? I think it's important to know that kids are a couple of years behind on their social development, right? They don't know how to regulate their emotions and their feelings and to resolve conflict. And so we need to help work on them with uh, on those topics and, and how, to, how to sort of moderate themselves, right? And, uh, SEL curriculum and, and concepts are a good place to start, right? That falls into some controversy lately. It seems like everyone can agree that emotional intelligence is important, but we can't agree on what it is. And then oftentimes I see people have their own agendas and they try to hijack these concepts. Like, let's just keep it pure. Let's just keep it about the kids. So Jeff, to transition uh, into a different topic that I know you're equally passionate about, um, teacher transition. And this is a big one. We've covered this on the show from a few different angles, from how do we help teachers transition to how do we help keep teachers, you know, in teaching, but make the profession uh, more meaningful and more, you know, uh, lucrative potentially. Um, but give us your thoughts as far as, you know, we obviously know there's a great resignation happening, not just in teaching, but in many industries. Uh, but specifically talk to us about what you're seeing with that uh, great resignation and what advice you have for those teachers who may be listening today who may be in that 91 or 92 percent of educators that are uh, contemplating what next fall is going to look like for them if they're going to be in the classroom or not in the classroom. So first look I, I wish the teachers would stay in the classroom teaching right we need them there but even more important than that I want people to be happy right and if you're an educator and you're not happy you're not doing the kids any good 
I, as many of you know, I, I started um, posting open ed tech positions. I started doing this in the very beginnings of the pandemic because I sensed that there was fear. People were getting laid off, right? And this is this is in, in education, but there was fear. And I wanted people to see that there are actual jobs that are out there and available. So I started posting these jobs, right? March of 2020. I think I'm on post 197. I post once or twice a week, open ed tech jobs. And I just want to help people find their next job. And I think when you're leaving the classroom, you're like, what am I good at? How am I going to do this? Right? Just seeing those jobs helps people understand. I've also done a number of webinars for how to get into ed tech sales, how to do um, customer success, how to do ed tech marketing. Um, you know, I just want to support people as much as possible. Um, we've also been running virtual ed tech job fairs that are free for the companies and for the job seekers. Um, I just, it, it's important that people see that they have options. You're not stuck anywhere. I, I, I'm glad to do those things. Now, uh, I was talking to you earlier. I'm going to share one of my crazy beliefs. I'm, I'm full of odd belief structures, right? I sometimes describe myself as the Simon Cowell of ed tech. Um, so look, I have a selfish reason why if you're a teacher, you should stay in the classroom. And that's because I am concerned that the next five years, we're going to see 5% or 10% annual inflation. And this is going to be a devastating effect on the economy. It'll be similar to what happened in the late 70s and early 80s. We had what was called stagflation, where we had high inflation, the economy stagnating, companies are going bankrupt and laying off employees. As a teacher, you might look back at that stable job of the district and be like, wow, I really wish I still had that. Especially if you're going to one of these VC-backed, private equity-backed EdTech companies that promise the world and are essentially losing money left and right, but they've got all this investment money. When the recession comes, and it will someday, they will cut people with no hesitation. And... If you're an educator, you might value stability a bit more. So just be aware of what you're getting into. And I think that's such an important point that has been lost uh, in the last uh, six months of conversation around this transition. And uh, and everyone is you know thinking the grass is greener and, and looking at it. What would you say to those uh, educators that may say, oh, wow, Jeff has a good point there. Maybe I should stay. Um, how can I make a difference in, you know, where I am and, and what should I be asking for? Do I have any leverage right now as uh, there are, you know, a lot of open vacancies? Maybe this is a time to negotiate a contract or to take some more ownership of what you're teaching because uh, we've talked about this in the past. Um, now is kind of the time to innovate, right? You're, you're less likely to be fired for trying to do what you think is best for your kids given uh, the teacher shortage. Well, you're, you're exactly right about that. There, You have some leverage and power. And I, I always believe in asking forgiveness, not permission. Um, I tell my kids rules are just suggestions. Um, sometimes there's consequences with those suggestions. So I guess if you're an educator, yeah, do what's put the kids interest first, even more than what the district's telling you to do. Right. That's that's the number one thing is a kid's interest. But on a, on a bigger topic. The world needs great leaders, whether that's a principal, a district administrator, assistant superintendent, superintendent. Why not all of you, right? Why, why not become that leader that the world needs? 
It is not going to be easy. People are going to attack you for every decision you make, but that's a worthy and noble thing to do. And innovation doesn't start or stop with a teacher or with a superintendent, right? It does take all of us, um, not just in the building, right, but in the community to be innovative right now, to collaborate and partner, and uh, and again, really do anything and everything we can to elevate the profession of teaching to where it should be, uh, to where we don't have uh, all these teachers looking to leave the classroom. Lena, I'm curious to get your thoughts as usual as a former teacher here who's made the transition um, and give us, you know, maybe both sides of the coin from your perspective. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you and that it's um, teachers probably won't have the positioning to leverage anything financially because everything is so structured. There isn't really much wiggle room, I would say there, because you're just presented with what you're presented with. But what you do have the opportunity to do, one is to try a new district, try a new position, try a new classroom. Um, You have the position now more than ever to actually move around where you used to have to stay at that one school for forever because that was like really the only thing that might be open in your district. Well, now you have the opportunity to, the ball really is in your court to make the choice of where you want to go. The second thing that I would say is that what both of you had said is that you have the first chance to innovate. Um, meaning that you can take risks and you can make changes and you can make your classroom really student-centered, really bringing their interest, making topics relatable to them and really trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. Um, And I would say that's connecting with industry. And I would say that's also connecting with ed tech companies. A lot of ed tech companies will give personalized professional development to help you really feel success in that tool. And a All of those ed tech companies are mostly built up of a lot of teachers who are willing to help you. The reason why teachers leave the classroom isn't because they hate the classroom and they hate the students. There's specific things that make you feel like you're not winning every single day. And sometimes that's okay. But we go to ed tech because we're still passionate about teaching and still passionate about um, helping educators thrive. And so most ed tech companies are comprised of that because they want you to feel just as successful as they do outside of the classroom. Um, And then for teachers who are transitioning to Jeff's point, we are probably heading towards, or we are in a recession and that's coming. And it's true. There are going to be lots of layoffs happening at a lot of companies. So when you are making a decision to join a company, the best thing to do is to look at their funding. I always tell this to teachers when they are making the transition, they're so excited about hopping to a new company and you know, they want the first chance and we know you want to leave the classroom, but you really do have to do some funding, funding research, see not just glass door things, but looking to see how many times have they been funding? How many series have they closed? Um, you know, are they, are they going to be sustainable on their own? And that's a question that you can ask in, in an interview. Like what is your, you know, what is your growth plan? Where, what are certain things that you need? You need to be asking those questions actively, I think. Yeah. There's um, like first ask, you know, what are revenues and profits? And if there are no profits, okay, it's there's a concept called runway, right? How much money do you have in the bank and how much runway, how much three months, six months, a year? And, and by the way, expect them to exaggerate, right? Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I know what I love when I meet ed tech salespeople, they'll always tell me about how big their numbers are. And I also cut in half. People tend to just exaggerate a bit. 
And then think about a teacher, you know, loves their students. So they give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh yeah, we're going to hit these scores and, you know, it's all predicting, you know, the future. So I agree with Jeff, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, obviously um, this is something I advise when teachers reach out to me on LinkedIn and ask for advice is, you know, think about what type of company you want to work for, right? If it's curriculum or platform or a specific subject area, think about um, the, size of the company, which you don't always think about, right? Small, medium, large. And I kind of explain it a little bit like your uh, mutual fund portfolio. Are you more risky? Do you want the small startup uh, that maybe there's a higher growth path? Or do you want the more tried and true blue chip, you know, big publishing company that may be uh, a little more boring, but, you know, maybe more of a, a solid, you know, investment? Or do you want something in between? And I think a lot of educators don't necessarily think in those terms, they just think, oh, I like this company and what they stand for. Uh, and then, of course, think about roles, right? Sales, marketing, customer success, training. Um, and when you kind of take those three things, that'll help you narrow your search, which I think is really key in uh, education. It's finding the right fit for you at the right time. Jeff, I would be curious to get your thoughts since you have a, a pretty large following on LinkedIn. We've seen more teachers joining LinkedIn over the last two years than probably ever before in history. A lot of it looking for jobs, but I think a lot of uh, teachers have come on looking for jobs and they found so much more. They found relationships they can build. They found uh, information. They found, you know, uh, organizations that they can be members of, that type of thing. Talk to us about, you know, any teacher listening, if you're not on LinkedIn, not that we're plugging just LinkedIn, but it does seem to be a, a growing place for educators and as well as administrators over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, it's a, uh... I, look, I don't get on Facebook, and I know there's some great teacher affinity groups on Facebook. Um, so it's definitely it's it's not as personal, right? Um, there are people posting their babies and their weddings and milestones and graduations, but that's not what it's really all about. Um, it's really more of like finding like-minded career and professional interests, and I think there's a lot of value in that. It seems like Facebook has become so fractionalized, factionalized, right? We don't really have that going. It's LinkedIn, right? There's much less of that political stuff. So in a way, it's just, it's it's a breath of fresh air compared to those other places that seem like it's all about trying to make people upset. Um, much more LinkedIn is about uplifting each other. Yeah, That's I think it's good. also nice because it's not necessarily people trying to, you know, look uh, good in a certain way. I think there's a little of that, but I think people are fairly honest on LinkedIn. Hey, I'm struggling with this or trying to find that. Can anybody help me with this? It is like this massive helpline. Um, and you would be surprised if you're new to LinkedIn or you're thinking about joining today um, that people like us would respond to you if we have don't have a thousand messages in our inbox that day. Um, and you really can connect with people in these companies or with other educators um, in a similar uh, circumstances that you have. And um, you can really um, have access to people that you never would have before just seeing a job posting or things like that that's much more formal. There is this informal professionalism, as I like to call it, to LinkedIn, where you really can get information. And sometimes it's, you know, learning what you don't want to do, having a conversation with someone at a company and going, wow, thank you for your time. And then privately thinking to yourself, I would never want to work for a company that does that. Not that they're a bad company, but it just doesn't fit with you. And so I think there's a lot of uh, uh, just experience you can gain. You know, we don't know what you don't know a lot of times. And LinkedIn is a good place to ask those questions. 
I want to talk about something that I don't, this is going to be a hot button, but I'm just going to talk about it anyway. Um, I've been seeing a lot of things. I've been seeing a lot of things on LinkedIn um, of people being at positions. They're at a company and then they're like desperately in the comments asking for a job from other people. And I find that to be (laughs) teaching is a different thing because you're going to be leaving at the end of your, your contract. Um, Most teachers really aren't on LinkedIn sort of things, but I've been seeing this like almost desperate act of like, Hey, help me get a job like ASAP. So like, I've been seeing people being at like specific ed tech companies and maybe it may not be a good fit. And then going to people who are posting or, or, um, networking type of (laughs) recruiters and being like, Hey, Hey, I want a job. Hey, I want a job. And I know connections at like their other connections. So what I caution when I say this is just that you have to be really careful on LinkedIn. It is a place to network. The difference is there are trails of like what it is that you're doing. So like if you're on Facebook and I'm not friends with JW, I'm not necessarily going to see the types of comments and conversations that you're having. Um, but I can see what you're having with anyone on LinkedIn, any any of those like public comments and things like that. So I just say, just be cautious and try to keep it positive. Um, be open and transparent as much as possible, but try your best. I know it's very difficult when we're job hunting and different things, but to just try your best to be as positive as possible. And if you are desperately looking to leave in any capacity of anything, just make sure that it's, it's coming across professionally because people unfortunately are watching and that's never going to not be a thing. Oh yeah. Like if, if I saw an employee that was posting that they wanted to leave and they're in sales or even customer success, they said, I have to have a conversation. I'm like, it's time for you to go. If your heart's not in this, you're not going to be achieving our goals. And and I don't want to waste your time or our customers time. So uh, you're, you're exactly right. Be careful. Don't piss off your boss, right? Is that so hard to say? <laughs> um, right. You you might not like the person, but they still deserve that respect. And you don't want everybody to know that you're looking. Um, I, you know, let me share something with you. I posted this probably four years ago, but I still stand by it. The post was titled, I hate resumes. I don't even look at resumes anymore. I only look at LinkedIn right now. I'm unusual in that way. I think resumes are really full of BS. They're long and boring and, oh my God, they're self-aggrandizing. What I like about LinkedIn from a standpoint of resume is like, it's out there in public. Yes, there's a lot of exaggeration there too, but you kind of can't exaggerate too much if everybody can see it. I love that. It's peer-reviewed, right? So you can't just make up a title that you used to have from 10 years ago, and you can't make up you're responsible for XYZ when you weren't. Others will see that. So there is this social vetting, which I think is really great. And I agree with you as a a VP of marketing and a hiring manager, I haven't looked at resumes in years. You know, it's all been through LinkedIn, through networking, through referrals and references of people that, you know, it is very much you want to have people in your corner saying, yeah, this person would be great for this position. So um, I almost want to turn the conversation a little bit to, you know, what are some other LinkedIn faux pas? You know, what are some things that just, you shouldn't do. There's lots of articles on LinkedIn and everywhere else about here's why you should be on it and here's what you should do. What are some other things that you've seen that you kind of cringe and you go, oh man, maybe you shouldn't do that. If you're going to play in this space, Lena, you kind of started my uh, wheels turning on this with your idea, but Jeff, anything you can think of that's just a, uh, please don't do this on LinkedIn. So I see some people complaining, right? People that feel like they're entitled 
right? I've had people, seen people post like, well, I deserve $80,000 a year because I've got a master's degree. I've been teaching for 10 years. Like nobody owes you anything, right? It's what can you do for that company that's going to move their mission forward? And I'll sometimes tell people, look, you have to, sometimes you have to take a step backwards, a step down in order to get on a path that leads to higher heights. So that'd be one thing. The other thing is I despise LinkedIn headlines. It should be no more than five or six words, right? I do not want to read a paragraph like, you know, I help businesses transform their revenue growth using best of breed, best practice. But I don't want, if I see that, I almost will, I will, I will generally reject a request for a connection. I actually yeah. like that point on the header because a lot of times, you know, we, we are all getting teacher transitioners and, and we all do our best to support all teacher transitioners. But when I see a teacher transitioner that reaches out to me, same thing, they have loves customer success, loves sales, loves project management, um, curriculum director. And it's like all these like things I'm like, well, that tells to me, that just tells a story right off the bat without even anyone clicking into your LinkedIn profile to see what you're about that you don't know the direction that you want to go. And it's fine if you don't, but just remove that from the title. It doesn't even need to be there. Just your name, Lena Sale, just Jeff Patterson, just <laughs> JW Marshall. Like you don't need to have all those things to like tie it in there unless you have a specific mission that you're really like looking for. Um, I, I've talked to several recruiters and the, the first thing that they see is your tagline and it has all those things like nine different career choices. Um, they're just going to skim right over you, unfortunately. What uh, I'd be curious to hear, do you guys know what your headline is on LinkedIn? It's probably long. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I got to go revise mine right now. I think I, put I was like, four, maybe four, I actually probably need to change mine down. Probably yeah. need to edit it down. Um, mine but, used to, my, here's what mine, I've edited mine down just a little bit, but it used to say CEO, coach, cheerleader, and party planner. I got rid of the party planner because there were some people complaining about that. Um, although that truly is a one of my major skill sets. Yeah, and I think mine, without looking it up, says something like ed tech, executive, podcast host, thought leader, and connector of people, something to that degree. I, look, I, JW, I think that stuff is fine. It's the long ones. And if I was talking to a teacher, I'd say, okay, teacher ready for customer success, teacher looking for a sales job. That's yes. a headline I can get behind. Mm-hmm very specific, um, headline that you, yeah, exactly. Just trying to be as specific, I think as possible. I, I think it's just the, the thing that we're cautioning is just making sure that if you are transitioning, you don't have a hundred different things because each one of those roles, a sales role, a customer success manager, a curriculum director, those are all three very different, um, roles and responsibilities, they may sometimes segue into each other, but it's very rare that you operate a curriculum designer, <laughs> person who's designing all the curriculum and somebody who is doing the sales. You typically don't work necessarily in the same pathway. Um, I have done that at ed tech companies where I've, you know, been in all for one, but that's not usually the case. Yeah, and I want to circle back to the complaining one more time because I can't emphasize this enough that it's okay to have a bad day or be frustrated and post something authentic once or every once in a while. But as a hiring manager, as people that are on LinkedIn uh, a lot for their jobs, 
we see patterns. And so if the pattern is that's a constant, then that's not probably someone that's as desirable to hire versus someone who has uh, a lot of positive comments and every once in a while is authentic and real with a, a bad day or a challenge or, yeah, I had a big setback today, but here's what I'm going to do to pick myself up and move forward. So just, you know, you want to be yourself for sure. And you don't want to just be the best version of yourself where it's not authentic and real, but just be cautioned. You don't have to be your whole self if it is in not the best place, which a lot of times job seekers are frustrated and, you know, grabbing, you know, grasping for air and you want to just kind of moderate yourself. So I would recommend having some people in your network that can kind of help keep you in check and, and say, you know, Hey, this is maybe some improvements to your LinkedIn profile or, you know, hey, maybe lighten up a little bit on the authenticity because it's coming off a little bit, um, you know, uh, the, the wrong way, uh, things like that. So if you're going to go all in, you know, then, you know, really just try to help check yourself against, you know, what's the norm and what's, uh, you know, appropriate for the platform that you're on. Any thoughts on that, Jeff or Lena? Just one thing to touch on that with JW is that without like negativity, just be careful of how much you're also interacting with negativity as well. That's also just another thing we could also see that. So just make sure that, you know, if somebody's having a bad day that you're turning that around as well. Um, that's all I have to add to that point. All right. So I've got two things I'll say. One is let's talk about connection requests. Don't send me five paragraphs. That's work. I don't want to read. Nobody reads anymore. We skim, right? But I do recommend including a note in your connection request, one or two, maybe three sentences, and that should have some appeal to the person you're trying to connect with. But not like, apparently LinkedIn is adjusting that we connect because I keep seeing you in my feed. That's not meaningful. Um, uh, here's another thing, though, that, again, one of my many crazy statements, um, I need some people to hate me. I believe if no one hates me, no one truly loves me, right? And maybe this goes back to my, my childhood, you know, going to church all the time. It's like, um, you know, Jesus said, you know, he doesn't want you to be lukewarm, right? So I need some people to hate me. I'm going to have a definitive place where Simon Calvet takes stakes his ground. And I'm happy that some people disagree because I need those people who are going to find me. But I should do that in a caring, loving, treat people well way. Yeah, I agree. Are there any connection outside of the five paragraph essay connection requests? Are there any other faux pas connection requests that you um, receive? Oh, not not generally from not generally from educators. Except for lots of ed tech, lots of salespeople reach out to me, right, and sell to me in that connection request, which in some ways is great because I can just click ignore right away. Um, but I can't think of any others offhand. I think for the most part, I think people do a pretty um, decent job at the connection requests, I would say. Um, I just caution that if you're, just be understanding that um, we all have full-time responsibilities and things like that. So when you are requesting, it may take a bit of time. It's not that we're ignoring you, not that we don't want to like help as much as we can, but I would say try to do your best to come prepared when we do take a meeting with you or something like that. Like when, when you just come cold, it's a bit tough for us to be able to coach and guide you in a certain way. Like I, unfortunately I'm happy to provide some sun, 
you know, sunshine as much as I can, but um, just try to become, just come prepared, maybe read a couple LinkedIn posts, maybe know a little bit of things. Um, I've had people show up to meetings and not know my name and think I do other things than I do. Um, think I'm a completely different um, content creator than I am. So I would just say, just, just come to a meeting just prepared oh, as much as possible. You're so right. I get, I get notes from people like, so Jeff, are you a recruiter? Can you help me find a job? I'm like, look at my profile. Look, look at the look at the title. Look at the company, right? Um, all you have to do is click on the company and say, oh, they're a state and state safety solution. It does not say recruiter. So unfortunately, we're we're coming to the end of our time. Of course, we'd love to continue this conversation later this year, next year, keep getting updates. But um, let's end on a half class full, uh, you know, kind of optimist uh, note, maybe some inspiration. What are uh, you most excited about, whether that's um, the, the state of ed tech or uh, are we moving in the right direction, you know, in, in certain areas or just a, a story of success or uh, good news that you can share as we kind of wrap up our time? Oh, so here's an area that where I think we're moving into something that's good. Um, not everyone's going to agree with me. Um, I think we're getting ready to teach less history. Right. I love history, but. We keep teaching history. Like I grew up in California. We taught California history probably three times through high school and U.S. history three times as well. But if you ask the average person when the War of 1812 was, they will not know. Um, I think we're starting to move in a place where people are starting to think, hey, we need to start teaching kids real skills that matter, like managing money or conflict resolution, these social emotional skills. I, I'm excited that we're moving more in that direction. I think we can move further. Um, it does mean we to choose to do something new means we have to give up something. And again, I love history, but I don't think we should be teaching it so much. And maybe we can teach it in conjunction with science or reading or something that it can be incorporated. It doesn't have to be not taught, but I agree. You have to make room somewhere and, um, uh, let's let's teach the things that are going to have the most impact. Let's teach students how to learn and let's inspire them to want to learn so that they can still learn all the history that their heart desires or become history majors if they're uh, really into that. But we are not uh, just forced uh, forcing students to remember dates and times and, you know, it's in one year out the other, the, the following school year, there's no lasting impact on that. So I think you're right. I think that's uh, an exciting direction. Um, and sadly, we have uh, no more time for today. So, Jeff, I would like to say, as always, great to have you because we're going to have you back again. And we'll be able to say that next time because uh, we can talk about whatever we want on this show. And uh, you've got a lot of great uh, you know, wisdom and uh, ideas from uh, a number of different vantage points. So uh, we will have you on again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Lena, of course, thank you for joining as the co-host and bringing all of your perspectives as well. And to our audience, thank you so much for spending your time with us again. We love your interactions, your comments, your feedback um, on the show. And remember, as we close, to always, always keep learning. Bye, everybody. Bye.